Hey, I'm Blake Francis. I'm a millennial and I've never listened to a podcast in my life. So the only comical thing to do is to create a series of audio goodness where I have a yarn to some interesting people I've met in my time. And the challenge is I'm rallying my co-hosts using only the mate's currency, a slab of beverages. Strap yourselves in because who knows where this could go. It's Best Mates with Blake. G'day everyone, it's Blake Francis here for another episode of Best Mates with Blake and stoked to be this far through the season. Ah, it feels so good to be coming to you with another episode and I am joined by a fantastic dude. Uh, We have a mutual friend, so he put us in touch and I am joined by the lovely Eddie Ift. Welcome to Best Mates with Blake. Blake, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's always good to be on the internet with some random stranger. And, uh, you know, like, this is all we do now. This is. This is. People reach out with a random invitation and you're like, yeah, this seems safe and I'm not going to get myself into trouble here, so why not? Oh, you're not going to get yourself in trouble until somebody digs it up a year from now and says, look what you said at two minutes and 41 seconds. Oh, my God. Now it's time to ruin your career. <laughs> that is very true. And I'd love to say that it happens few and far between, but goddamn, it happens more often than not, I think, in this day and age. So we'll. So uh, I've, had, I've had them come after me. They're like, we're going to ruin your career. And I'm always like, what career? What are you going to ruin? <laughs> what am I not going to be able to podcast? Like, it, is is the internet going to stop me? Are they going to clip my wires? Are they going to turn off my Wi Fi? Like, you don't get canceled one gets who's really ever been canceled no no that's true people come back with a vengeance they always find a way on the internet there's so many different avenues um eddie you are a fantastic comedian and talking about podcasts you are an avid podcast host doing many adventures in your past as well but are you coming to us right now from vegas did i get told that correctly uh, no, actually what happened was I was supposed to go to Vegas and, uh, last Sunday I got to call my mom, uh, was, uh, rushed into the ICU. So I jumped on a plane and flew to Pittsburgh. So I'm in Pittsburgh and that's why today at three o'clock I was waiting and I'm like, I'm not supposed to be on a podcast right now. And I forgot that I'm in a different time zone. So, uh, so I was, oh. I missed my shows at Brad Garrett's comedy club in Las Vegas and, uh, Brad was nice enough to take care of it, and he said, "I'll do your time for you." And he's there's not a better guy in this world than Brad Garrett, and oh. so he took care of me. And I've just been, you know, doing the doing the good son thing, seeing my mom in the hospital. Yeah, no, as a, well, look, I I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. I I would have absolutely rescheduled had I known. But um, look, you it just shows the type of character that you are to to pull through on uh, on something like this. So I really uh, thank uh, you for please, that. Please, please, I'm not a good person. I just I love my mom. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, if we put it down to that, then that's still admirable. So um, you mentioned uh, Brad Garrett. Now people would know Brad Garrett from the absolute hit show Everybody. He loves Raymond. He was the brother Robert and probably the man with the most dulcet tones I have ever heard in my entire yeah. life. Yeah. Um, that is incredible. So you guys are, are pretty chummy. You do some comedy spots out of his space. Yeah, he's, he's a good friend and he's one of the best people I know. I really like in Hollywood, you don't meet a lot of good people because something about Hollywood attracts 
horrible people. And uh, it's just, it's a natural thing. It's like, oh, wait, I need attention. I didn't get attention. I want the world to love me because I'm really insecure. Oh, I know where I'll go for that. Um, you know, I, I used to do a joke where I said they should take down the Hollywood sign and just put up a sign that said, daddy didn't love me. <laughs> and so you get a lot of people like that. But every once in a while, you find a gem. You find someone that's a really good person, real quality. And uh, Brad's never let me down. He's, he's one of them. And so where did you meet Brad then? Like coming up through the comedy circuit? No, it's funny because you do run into everybody, but he was so busy with Everybody Loves Raymond that I didn't see him doing the circuit because he was a stand-up and he's been doing it. I mean, he, he used to work back in the day with Frank Sinatra. And, uh, wow. and so one time I got a call to come work his comedy club in Las Vegas and uh, it just like didn't fit into my schedule or I don't know what it was. But the booker said to me, oh, you should really, you should really do this gig. And I was like, why? They're like, because you're going to get to meet Brad. And they're like, Brad hosts the show and you'll really like him. And I was like, I'm not going to meet. You know, like you get to the point in Hollywood where you've met enough famous people that you're like, that doesn't change your decision over if you're going to do a gig or not. And I don't know why I said yes. And I went and like, it was by like day one where I, I was like, he's the greatest guy I've ever met. And I was like, this I'd do this gig for free. And uh, cut to, I don't know, eight years later, I've you know been working with him a couple times a year and he's just, he's become a friend. That's so, that's that's unreal, yeah. So to find a gem like Hold on, him. I have to read. He had me say all that and I just want to make sure I read it correctly. <laughs> Wait, he said he was... He's a quality person. Oh, I didn't. Oh, I didn't mention that he's involved in a lot of charities. Also, he wanted that said, and also uh, I forgot the most important part. He said, "Make sure you plug Brad Garrett's Comedy Club at the MGM. Um, no uh, refunds uh, because I'm Jewish and cheap." He said that. So uh, that that was that was that was the last part of it. Everything else. You know, I got it all in. I'm so I'm so glad you ended. You know, you were able to finish that off. That's fantastic. That's your that's your little uh, commitment to Brad checked off there for the episode. So that's fantastic. And so with comedy, then did you know you wanted to do that from an early age? Was did you have a funny family or you know anything like that? Um, my dad beat me as a child and said, "You're going to be a comedian." No. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I no, I, I didn't even know it existed. I grew up in a place called Pittsburgh where you either become, you know, you work on the side of the road or you go to college and become a lawyer. Like it, you got about like three choices. And my dad was in the insurance business and I thought, you know, I'm not good at school. I'm just going to work for dad. And, uh, I figured that was the rest of my life. And it, I kind of weirdly right after college fell into it. I mean, I, I was, I don't know if I was funny in school. I was a troublemaker. And uh, sometimes people constitute that as funny and people laughed at the trouble I got into. And so I, maybe I took that as though, Hey, I'm funny because they laughed at, Hey, he just yeah. got thrown out of class again. Uh, yeah. So I don't know if I was clever or quick witted, but I was, I was audacious. And uh, so like even in ninth grade, a teacher told me, she said, hey, you know, when you're on The Tonight Show someday, can you please say hi to me? 
she's like, but for now, can you please shut up? Because you're, you know, destroying my class. And I had her probably a year ago. She was at one of my shows when I came back to my hometown and she was there and they were all laughing about how, you know, they were like, we knew it, you know, like it was inevitable for you. Well, there's not too many people that can be a rambunctious little fella and then, you know, make a living off being rambunctious in your adult career. So that's that's got to be a highlight. That was probably the thing that I was such a failure at everything. And when I first did stand up, I loved it. I loved the light. I loved the crowd. I loved the attention. And then when they asked me to come back and they paid me and I it was like there was this moment of like, wait, you're get, you just gave me money for this. Yeah, I've been doing what I just did forever and you just paid me and there's more of this. And I was in my head. I thought that there, like this can happen. I can actually make money doing what I'm doing right now. And the money just progressively got better and better and better. And that was that was it. I was never motivated by money, but I just loved the fact that I could be who I was and get paid for it. It's, it was a, a light bulb moment. Um, and it sounds like up until then, you didn't have many of those going through school. So to, to recognize one when it came along and one is so profound as this one that it's shaped your career for the future, that's got to be a little turning point. Oh, I mean, I was, I, I'm not joking when I say I was a failure at everything. And, uh, you know, nothing went well. School didn't go well. Girls didn't go well. And uh, comedy was just, I'll, I'll never forget when I started doing like sold out shows and people cheering and laughing and talking to me. After, I was like, it's a drug. It's a, it's a real drug. And you see how addictive it gets. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of over the drug now, but, but it was fun for a while. Yeah, absolutely. And so with the growing up, you weren't you didn't consider yourself necessarily funny but did you, were you into comedic things so jokes and all that sort of stuff growing up through yes. school or on yeah. tv yeah i always loved you know my sister i remember had a lot of comedy albums from like joan rivers and lily tomlin and um you know richard pryor and stuff like that i did love those and then my dad had some old tapes that he used to play in the car of like amos and andy and all these like really old comedy things that I did like. And I, you know, I always liked comedy. I didn't love stand up so much until college. I went to some comedy clubs with my sister in New York City. And when I saw them, I was just blown away by the, the gift that these guys had. And I didn't realize, I thought they were talking extemporaneously. I didn't realize that they were acts. And I went back to New York after my first trip and I was like, let's go to another comedy club. So we went to another comedy club and I saw some of the same guys and they were doing the same act. And I was like, Whoa, wait a minute. I can do this. And, uh, that was kind of started the whole, you know, I started writing for a friend, a friend of mine, like had no life. And I was like, you should be a comedian. He was really funny. I was like, you should be a comedian. And I would say of all my high school friends, I'm probably like the fifth funniest. You know, there I've got so many friends that are funnier than me. And we we get on like now we get on a chat 
uh, you know, and sometimes do like a zoom together. And it just, it's so obvious that they're so much funnier than me. And it, it's just crushing, you know, because here I am the one making a living at it. And these guys are so hysterically funny and it just makes me feel bad sometimes. So what, at what point then as a comedian, do you have the self-confidence if you're talking like, you know, other people that's funnier yet you've got the self-confidence and that point where you go, no, no, no. Oh, I know I'm at least funny enough to create some material that some people might like, but you just have no idea. So is it just a big leap of faith in the end? I think it's, uh, I was able to have the combination of all the things where it takes balls to do it. It takes a comedic ability. It takes, uh, you know, you, you're the writer, the producer, the performer, the director, whereas some of my friends are just performers and some of them are just writers. And I had all of those things. So it's almost like I'm the decathlete, but they're the star sprinter. Um, they, you know, or they might be the best shot putter. And I had, I was average at all of these things and was able to kind of put them together and, and create a career of it. And also those guys all had like, did well in college and had, they, they had stuff to fall back on where I didn't have anything. And so I had desperation, which can really push you. <laughs> that will get you across the line. Absolutely. It's it's so great that you said you went back to New York City as well. I traveled uh, America a couple of years ago for six weeks by myself. And I started in New York and went to the Comedy Cellar, I yeah. believe it is. Uh, yep. And That's I went the club. there. I came and, up. Yeah, it is absolutely amazing and tying it back to funnily enough that everybody loves Raymond I went there to see a, an unannounced lineup didn't know who they were and I had heard that celebrities sometimes drop in and do uh, test new material try little specials and I happened to be there on the time that Ray Romano mm -hmm. came in and tested some new material he did like a 20 or 30 minute unannounced set and it was so exhilarating to one see him who i'd grown up watching and two to actually see the process that comedians go through where you're testing of new material whether it's funny or not you still have to perform that to a crowd to see how it goes is that something that you've done a couple of things a lot of times those big famous guys will say that they're testing new material but they're full of shit and they just that's uh, their that's their you know I'm doing new material so that there's like a uh, kind of like, oh, that's why I didn't do so. And I'm not saying this about Ray, but I see a lot of these guys come out and do their best stuff because what happens, especially that club, I'll, some clubs, if a famous person says they're going to be there, it'll sell out immediately. The comedy seller sells out no matter who's there. So they don't need to put on famous people. They just put on the best people. It's like a restaurant that serves quality food. They just care that they have the best food. Ray happens to be a really funny guy who came up at that club. So he's there a lot. Uh, but even advertising him wouldn't make a difference. The club's still going to sell just as many tickets. Yep. Um, you know, they have a line around the block and everybody wants those tickets pre COVID that is, but uh, you know, it's great to see all those guys and to work amongst them. And I started working at the comedy cellar in 1999 and then 98, 98 or 99. And I've been working there ever since. And I've seen it grow from what it was to what it is now. 
and the, just the level of talent that's there. It was always good, but comedy wasn't as um, popular as it is now. And so a lot of those guys I was working with, and there'd be 12 people in the crowd, and you're like, oh, my God, do these people, like, know what they're getting? And now everybody appreciates it. But I'm like, it was, it's always been there. It was an unbelievable experience. Obviously, I'd heard about it. And then to, to go there and enjoy it, especially even the people down the roster, you know, the openers, uh, yeah, they were phenomenal. So, yeah, I felt very lucky to be there in first that club, moment. First, first comedy club I ever went to, to watch. Oh, Oh really? Oh, that's hey, to to be honest, that's probably mine as well. I haven't actively in my past gone and seen too many comedy acts. I know we've got the Melbourne Comedy Festival that's uh, actually on or finishing up very soon as we record this. Um, so you know, I went and saw a couple of those, which is fantastic. With our mutual friend Ryan, actually, he's looking after some of them. Um, but yeah, I, I felt so lucky that I was able to you know grace I, the grace the halls of. Comedy I get Center. on stage there sometimes. And I'll be doing the show and it's it's a tough club like you have to be on your game because there's no sitting back because the audience is demanding your best and um but there are times when i just take a moment when i'm on stage and i look at, and i know the exact seat i sat in and i look at that seat and i'm like you know like 25 years ago that's that's what started this and it's pretty wow. crazy that you know, the, like I've been around the world a million times and, and I'm like, it all started from sitting there. And so you said that you obviously uh, did comedy for a long time. It's even brought you down to Australia. You've, you've been here multiple times, spent a lot of time here. Um, you even did a sold out show at the Sydney Opera House. Like that is no small feat. Yeah, you know, when I did it, I didn't realize how big of a deal it was. And in retrospect, it's one of the most important moments of my life. But when it was happening, things were happening so fast that I didn't, I was so worried about the show going well and this and that, that I never got to enjoy what was happening. And it, it's just like a flash, like to remember any of it. Um, I remember, uh, uh, going to check into my hotel and I said, you know, I've stayed at a lot of the same hotels in Sydney. I've been there like to Australia, like 22 times. I think I have stamps on my passport, but I went to, I was not rush cutters. I forget what hotel I was in, but I go to this hotel and they're like, Oh yes, Mr. If we have you in the da 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 suite. And I'm like, sweet. And so I take the elevator up and I go and I've got this like two story hotel room. And it was just, I had never stayed in a hotel room like this. And so I'm looking around like there's been some kind of mistake. And so I call my agent, who's like the best guy in the world. And I go, hey, uh, I think they messed up at the hotel. I'm in this room and it's got two stories and it's, you know, blah, 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 blah. And he goes, no, mate. He's like, you're playing the opera house. He's like, you got to do this the right way. And I was like, oh. Oh, okay. Like, and that's when it like hit me a little bit. And uh, my my only thing that upset me about that is we shot my DVD live from Australia. I had Nikki Webster do a do a sketch for me at the beginning, and the, I I don't know whatever happened with it, but it never made it to the DVD. But it was so funny. Um, 
I hate that that it never got made. I'm get, I'm gonna actually hit up the the director and see if he still has the footage. But I had met Nikki Webster prior to that, and I didn't know who she was. And then everybody told me, and so I asked her if she would do this for me, and she's like, "Yeah." So she showed up and shot the whole sketch. But it was that the opening of the film works that uh, of the DVD of my live performance. I'm running around Sydney asking people if they know who Eddie Ift is. And everybody's saying no. They're like, no idea, mate, no idea. I'm like, you don't know him, he's a comedian. He's a famous American comedian, he's here. And everybody's like, no. And I'm like, people are going, is he funny? And I'm like, funny, he's hilarious. And uh, they're like, where's he playing? And I'm like, where's the best place? Where should he play? If he's gonna do a gig, where should he play? And everyone's going, oh, the Opera House, mate. You, you know you've made it if you're the Opera House. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's where he's gonna be. He's gonna be at the Opera House. So then I go to the Opera House and I go up to the ticket booth and I go, uh, Hey, uh, I want to play here. And they're like, uh, sorry, you know, that's not how this works. And I'm like, well, I got to shoot a show. And they're like, too bad. And I go, well, who's here tonight? And they go, oh, and this woman goes, oh, it's just Australia's favorite daughter, Nikki Webster. And I was like, Nikki Webster. Okay. So then, um, uh, then I'm, I find her door backstage and the stars on that says Nikki Webster. And I knock on the door and I go, hello. And, uh, she goes, come in. And I open the door and she goes, who are you? And I go, uh, and then there's like all this commotion. And then you hear her like, like me, like tackle her and everything. And then you see Nikki Webster, all uh, she's duct taped up. I've got her like covered in duct tape. And then uh, you see the guy that's announcing the show and he goes, ladies and gentlemen, there's been a change. And he gets this card handed to him and he reads it. He goes, there's been a change. Um, uh, your performer tonight is no longer Nikki Webster. He goes, uh, I'd like to welcome to the stage from America, Eddie Ift. And then that's how I walk out to do my special. And they never used it because they never like cut it up. And I just thought it was so funny that I basically in my video beat up Nikki Webster and stole her stage time. That is incredible. That is Look, whether you whether you bombed or did a great job at the at the the opera house, oh my god, that segment would have been fantastic. You have to dig that up somewhere. Yeah. And now coming obviously down to Australia, I have learned that you met your wife Lauren in a quite a peculiar convers initial conversation. Oh, um, do you want me to say it or do you want you to say it? <laughs> um, tell me what you heard, and I'll tell you if it's true. Something along the lines of, I'm the world's first Mormon porn star. Okay, it's off a little bit. Okay. Pretty close. <laughs> um, I, my wife is American. She was living in Australia. I met her at uh, uh, Le Paris Go Cafe in Bondi. And I used to go there because all the waitresses were pretty. And uh, I would eat breakfast there. The food was good too, but the waitresses were better. And my wife was there and somebody pointed to her and said do you know her she's uh she's american and uh i said oh no and they said do you want to meet her i said i'd love to and so he called her over to the table and he said hey this is eddie he's a uh, uh he's famous and a i wasn't b i hate when people say that because it's just such an uncomfortable because if you're famous they'd know who you are I love when people ask me, are you famous? And I'm like, wouldn't you know who I am if I was famous? Like, you, 
I'm not because you don't know me. So she said, Do you, are you famous? And I said, or he said, he's famous. And she said, what do you do? And I said, I'm a Christian porn star. Uh, yep. <laughs> and she said, really, what's that? And I said, well, I said, you know, porn is my business, but Jesus is my life. And so I do what I do, I do in the name of Jesus. And, uh, you know, and she totally was like, oh, okay. And then I just thought nothing of it, but I went in there like a day later or two days later and she was there. She came right up to me and she's like, you're a liar. She's like, I Googled you. And she's like, you're not a porn star. You're not a Christian porn star. You're a stand-up comedian. And I was like, and I go, and you're gullible. And, uh, and then I realized right there, I'm like, I'm going to marry this girl because she'll believe anything I say. Great. Great. That is what you want in a future wife. Gullibility. <laughs> that is, uh, oh, I was, I was very close. You are the, very the... close. And it's probably because I make a lot of Mormon jokes. So, but I went, gotcha. I went after the Christians on that one. Now, moving into, uh, from comedy, you are an avid podcaster. You've hosted a few things in your past. You, oh my God, when I did some research, you did a podcast called Talking Shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it ran over, and correct me if I'm wrong, about six to seven years around, I think you did 500 episodes. Yeah. Um, we, did and four, we did 499. Anyone can do 500. That's so great. And some of the guests you had on there are TJ Miller from Silicon Valley and Deadpool. You got Dan Levy from Shits Creek, Adam Devine from Pitch Perfect, Tiffany Haddish, Joe Rogan, Steve-O, Hannibal Buress. Like the list goes on and on and it's so, so amazing. Some of the people you spoke to and the premise of that was that you just grabbed them kind of like this one where you just grab someone and just talk shit you know, some, some conversations come up and you just had a chat really, wasn't it? Well, at the time, those people weren't who they are now. I mean, some of them were still successful and famous, but, you know, I've been doing this long enough that I started with those guys when like Tiffany was living in her car, you know, you, and they're just friends you make along the way. And so I was living at the time, my roommate was a comedian named Jim Jeffries. And Jim and I would come home in America. When you go do stand up, you leave usually like Wednesday or Thursday and you work like Thursday, Friday, Saturday and come home Sunday or Monday morning. And so when we would get home, we would meet back up and we would kind of sit on the couch and talk about that weekend. And he'd be in Kansas and I'd be in Omaha. You know, he'd be at Kansas City. I'd be at Omaha or he'd be I'd be in San Francisco and he'd be in LA or New York. And we would just say, how was your weekend? And we would start telling stories. And so, you know, podcasting was popular and we were like, it was just starting to become popular. And we were like, why don't we just put this, record it? And we were a couple idiots and we were bachelors and we had this crazy house that was like a fraternity house with a bunch of mongrels living in I like, you never knew who was coming or going and, uh, and a bunch of people that kind of worked with us and for us. And there was always drama. And so we recorded it. We didn't think anybody would listen to it. And the first week we had like a thousand listens and the next week it went to 2000. And then the next week is 4,000 and it grew exponentially. And we really didn't think it was going to get big, but it got to the point where they wanted to make a TV show about it. 
and uh, it was it was really fun to do. And I think all the all the pressure of like turning into a TV show and it, it just one of those things where we just we cared too much about the the outcome when we should have like been about the intention and been like, this is just fun. And we're so lucky to have this and do this. And uh, to this day, it's some of the most I've ever laughed. It's such a, such a great feat. And, um, oh, it's, it looks like such a good podcast. I know it's, I know it's finished now, but for anyone who wants to go back and listen to it, uh, it's still up online. The internet is never ending. So make sure you go and check it out. Now I do have to ask you as well. You are mates with Joe Rogan. You've been on the Joe Rogan experience uh, a couple of times. One I saw like early on, uh, like under a hundred episodes. I yeah. Think I says. thought about that. I was on episode 77. Yeah, yeah, 77 and then about 360 odd, I think around that. So you were you were there, you know, pretty early on and then once he's obviously become one of the biggest podcasts in the world. How did you guys meet and get into that? I think I met Joe originally in Australia. We had been in the same circles for a long time. But uh, you know, like he was always much more successful. He had done a sitcom and done Fear Factor and so, so I didn't know him, but we had a lot of in friends in common and I, you know, like people knew I was working in Australia a lot and Joe came over to work in Australia and I think he might've worked through my agent or something. And I think, or I asked if I could go to the show and I went backstage and Joe was really really nice you know and, and hospitable to me and hey do you need anything and i'm so glad you come to my show and i hung out with joe a little bit and um we did a tv show together called the green room uh paul Provenza's green room and we just had a really good time and hit it off and he's like hey come by and do my podcast and at the time it wasn't as big a deal it was still a big deal uh but it wasn't like it is now that's uh, that's that's so so great that, that you've got a mate in Joe Rogan though. That's really cool. Now, uh, I got two uh, more things I just want to get to before we wrap this thing up. Um, now, I do a, a thing called the Best Mates Quiz, uh, where it's just ten fire questions. Uh, this or that? Would you rather? It finds out a bit more about my guest yourself, and also it tests the compatibility between you and I because of what I would answer as well. So, uh, the Best Mates Quiz with Eddie Ift. Best Mates Quiz. Best Mates Quiz. Yeah. Hamburgers or pizza? Hamburgers all the way. Yeah. Have you got a... Are you just classic cheeseburger man or... Uh, I can get into it, but pizza... I just... I think pizza might be the most overrated food in the world. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, just, I thought we were hitting it off pretty good in this chat, but <laughs> um, would you rather go to the past and meet your ancestors or go to the future and meet your great-grandchildren? Past. Past. Why yeah. is that? It's just, I would love to know that history of the past of like, who are they? Where are they? Where were they from? I don't know. That might sound selfish. So it's all about me. No, no, no. No, that's uh, that's perfect reasoning. That's totally fine. Uh, summer or winter? summer god i mean it's weird in la don't tell anybody this because i don't want them to come here uh like i don't like i i I like beaches empty i like everything empty so i don't want i don't like crowds so uh i think the best weather 
in California is like late August, September, October. So it's our fall in California, that is. Everywhere else in the United States, it's mostly summer. But fall is great for us. It's like the sun sets in a perfect place. The the winds are great. The just It's just awesome. That's yeah. unreal. Uh, would you rather win the lottery or live twice as long? Live twice as long for sure. Oh. Yeah, the lottery to me is a bad thing. I feel like if I won the lottery, uh, maybe not as much anymore because I'm getting older and I don't care. But I feel like winning the lottery would stop me from working hard and and I would lose drive. And the drive is what keeps me young and keeps me like having fun and stuff. Chinese food or Japanese food? That's tough. I think I'd go Chinese. I mean, I do like Japanese food, but uh, we have a really, really good Chinese place in Venice, California called Mao's. And it's just such good Chinese food. It's like really healthy and it's really good. Just good. I think I'd take that over. I don't know. I go to like Nobu and get so sushi and that's pretty amazing too. So uh, that's tough. That's a tough call. Tough one there. Best, um, best Chinese, best Japanese. I'd probably take Japanese. Never do another podcast or comedy gig. Oh, definitely podcast. Def- never do another podcast. Um, I, well, I suppose you've done enough of them now to, I've done to live enough your life. Both, but there's something about stand up when it's going well. It's like the best thing in the whole world, and you do feel like I feel like no offense. I feel like anyone can do a podcast. Like all you do is turn it on and you just talk. Where stand up takes a certain level. I mean, it takes skill to be a good podcaster. Stand up takes like it's like saying you can do a backflip off a diving board you gotta like to make the joke connect it's gonna be i do it (laughs) like like anybody could fall off and flip over probably but but there's a there's a skill to doing a backflip and there's a skill to doing stand-up and when it works and when everything's gelling there's just a it's a high yeah, absolutely. I can only imagine. Uh, we'll run through the next ones quickly because there's one more topic before you go. Uh, pickup truck or Prius? Oh God, uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't drive a Prius if you gave me one. Uh, and I do drive pickup trucks. I like trucks a lot. Oh, I got well, That one was a given. I'm a, I'm a redneck. I'm a bogan at heart. Great. That's so good. Um, would you rather be stuck in a broken elevator or a broken ski lift? Uh did, did, did anybody tell you about me in this? I have a, no. I have a thing called cleithrophobia, and I'm I don't ride elevators, but um, I also oh. uh, I also when I get on chairlifts, when they stop, I start to freak out a bit because it's not a fear of confined spaces; it's a fear of being trapped. And I also used to be a ski patrol, so I know uh, how to evacuate a chairlift. And it's not pretty. And uh, I don't want to be in that situation ever. So whenever they stop, I ski a lot now with my little daughter, who's like six years old. Whenever they stop, she's always like, Dad, why did this stop? And I'm like, I don't know, but can you stop talking about it? (laughs) I promise you, I did not like know any of that. That was just a random, would you rather question I I found? The truth, I'd rather get stuck on a chairlift than I would an elevator because the chairlift, you could see what's happening around you. You can see them coming to help. They can communicate with you, you know, 
Ski Patrol are going to yell up to you, tell you what's happening, tell you how long it's going to be. In an elevator, you have to yell for a while. You don't know if anyone's out there. You don't know if anyone can hear you. You don't know what they're doing, and they're going to be, like, telling you stuff. And I've seen an elevator get stuck where I was, like, watching the whole thing, watching the police and everything. And I'm like, can you talk to the guy in there? And they're like, why? I'm like, because he's probably having an anxiety attack. And and the and the guy goes like this, knock knock. Hey, you okay? The guy goes, yeah. He goes, uh, pizza's on its way. And I go, what was that? And he goes, just let him know it's all good. And I'm like, no, no, that guy's gonna bash his head into the wall till he dies because you just. Yeah, I've seen sometimes on Facebook people go, I'm stuck in an elevator, I don't know what to do. And if you watch their series of postings, they get more and more dismal, you know, where they're starting to freak out and have a panic attack. And they say, oh, you got to do that. I, I turned down a job on a very, very famous radio show because it was on the 57th floor. And I was just like, I don't want to ride the elevator to that show. So I'll just turn the show down. I promise that was unprovoked. <laughs> uh, two more. Go for a week without internet or phone? I'd rather uh, go without a phone. Yeah, I, th I think that'd be a good thing in many circumstances. Um, and last one, would you rather Batman or Spider-Man? I think it'd be more fun to be Spider-Man. Is that what you're saying? Mm. Which one would I rather be? I think Batman. Yeah, yeah. I, Batman's way cooler. I'm not a big superhero. But, but I think the feeling of being Spider-Man like the ability to kind of like fly from building to building and climb wall would be way more fun. Absolutely. I love that reasoning. That is so, so good. Well, that was the best mates quiz. And really quickly, uh, when I do some uh, research on my guests for this podcast, I have to deep dive and have to find out some really good information about them. And that relies on me going to page two of Google. Page two of Google. So, because no one ever goes to page two. So, I like to, you know, deep dive and see what's on uh, that part of the interweb. And now I typed in Eddie Ift and it led me to a random page that had a bit of a bio. And one of the facts in it was that, um, again, I don't know if this is correct or not, but you hosted Shark Week once. Yeah. It was my first gig ever on, uh, on TV. I had, was living in New York probably for about a year, like waiting tables and temping. And I went to a friend of mine had a friend that was a casting director or I had a roommate that was a casting director. He's like, you should come meet her. So I went over and she said, let me see your picture. She's like, you, you got to get headshots. And I was like, okay. So I got them and I showed them to her. She's like, pick these. I was like, okay. And then she said, I'm going to call you in for an audition. So she called me in for an audition. It was the very first audition I went on ever in my life. And I booked it and it was to do all the promos for shark week. And, uh, uh, never got to see a shark, but uh, I was. That was one of my questions. What green, what qualifies green, you to do green, this job? Green, green screen like this behind me with sharks just you know, yeah, yeah. There's no professionalism in it in terms of you don't have to. I'm guessing know anything about sharks. You haven't like you haven't didn't get to pat one. Nothing qualified you to be there. It was just a job. Jeez, I. I don't even remember what those look like, like those promo. I so long ago. I'd love to dig them up and see how bad I was. Yeah. Well, look, I, I would, I would absolutely hope that you have uh, improved at least a little bit. If that was your very first TV or what job, or would be scary if I haven't improved. I just, 
I just was on Pandora seeing if my thing, uh, my new special is out and um, it's on Pandora radio here in America. And I wanted to see if they had it at, like on there. So I checked, it's not like I'm out like listening to myself and my new album didn't pop up. An old album popped up and I was like, Oh, I want to hear what bit this is. Cause a lot of times I hear bits that I don't remember even doing. And this bit came up and I was listening to it and I'm like, wow, that's a good joke. And I'm like, I think I was a lot better back then than I am now. And I was like, I, I wish I was still that good. I'm terrible now. And was that another another one of those light bulb moments? You know, yeah. St- <laughs> like, maybe I'm supposed to quit. I peaked, oh, I, man. I peaked in 2004. Oh, look, I, I, I hate to close this podcast on such a dire revelation that you may have peaked in 2004 um but no that that was it for page two of google mate i i know you're a little strapped for time so i'll let you go i really appreciate you coming on i'm uh, very grateful that you've made some time especially with the circumstance uh with you being back home with your family so uh thank you very much and i do have thank to get you. you a slab of drinks oh that's uh, you can get them when i come back over. i'll probably if you guys let me in my my new special is going on channel 10 and uh it's it's called sweet home alabama and it's going to be airing starting in may so uh hopefully i'll be able to come over in the next 10 years and tour if you guys let vaccinated americans in (laughs) well if it was up to me mate you'd be first on the list so yes everyone will check out that new special on channel 10 when it airs but yeah eddie thank you so much i really appreciate it oh thanks for having me like appreciate it To catch up on any or all of the Best Mates with Blake episodes, just search Best Mates with Blake wherever you get your podcasts. Plus, to follow along with highlights of the chats, including some clues as to who I might have on the next episodes, follow Best Mates with Blake on Instagram. Cheers.